Father Longlegs, you know me, Daddy T, and this is my annual solo episode. Burr, burr, burr. Okay, that was lame. I'm sorry I did that. Um, I've been doing this solo episode since the first accidental solo episode um, that happened around my birthday, like three years ago. Um, a guest canceled and I wanted to put out an episode, so I was like, you know what? Why did I do solo episode? It's going to be my birthday week. But I thought it was a fun way to sort of once a year confess something uh, on my own, you know, without the guest. And so here we go. Um, you would think that I ran out of secrets, but every year I'm learning more about myself as I learn more about my friends. And as hopefully I help them learn more about themselves. And hopefully you're learning about yourselves too. Wow, we're just a big old learning orgy. Um, this year, I knew what I wanted to talk about, um, but instead of writing it too scripted because I want to feel authentic and also because this is kind of like a very personal topic, I just wrote some notes. So full disclosure, there are some notes, um, but I might be all over the place. I'm going to try to stay on topic and try not to edit too much. Um, but basically, I just want to like, you know, get this off my chest, bear, get it, uh, and chat with y'all. So... Um, before I get into the confession, since it is my birthday episode, I am recording this. I'm currently birthdayed out in the sense that I've celebrated already. I was going to say how old I am. Some of you know, some of you don't, and I don't need to tell any more of you. Um, it's not a big deal if you know, but you know, as the years go by, as Smash Mouth says, they keep going. Um, you don't need to know how old I am. Okay, <laughs> this that's how you know I'm old. That's how you know I'm over 30 is that I won't tell you how old I am. <clears throat> Anyways, um, just a little update. I want to tell y'all what I did for my birthday this year. Okay, as weird as it is to tell you that, um, I it kind of relates to what I'm going to be talking about today. So, um, you know, we're not fully out of the pandemic, but we are in this new normal where we're able to see friends and, you know, be safe and celebrate but you know it is still this like very scary time so that being said you know this year I I used to be like a party person I like birthday parties um after my 30th birthday though I was like you know I think I might be good on parties for a bit um you know so this year I at the beginning of the year I written down sort of a list of places I wanted to go this year just in general if it was possible you know, everything from seeing my grandma in Taiwan to going back to the Bay when it was safe. Um, but I wrote Grand Canyon and I put it around my birthday thinking like, maybe I can do this. I've never been. Uh, if you've been following my pod or my me on social media, you know that I've become very, very interested in nature during quarantine, as I think many people were, um, you know, waking up with the sun, being outdoors, just finding like a renewed lo love for just the outdoors. So the Grand Canyon, uh, and I, you know, shout out to Sarah Schaefer, who wrote a wonderful book, if you haven't read it yet. It's very funny and touching and, and you know, just great. It's, um, you know, it's, she's a comedian, I'm sure you guys know, but I say that touching because it's also, like, very emotional. It's called Grand, and she, she wrote about going to the Grand Canyon with her sister um, for, like, a much more intense trip. But I realized I'd never been to the Grand Canyon, and I'd seen so many memes and things about how there's... Just, you know, it's a fucking amazing thing. Um, so I was like, I want to go. It's, like, close enough to go. And just so happened that my boyfriend wanted to go to Vegas that weekend. 
and my birthday's on a Monday, so I sprung it last minute. I have, it's been on my list, but I didn't plan it. I, on the Wednesday before I left, I asked him, like, would you be down to go to the Grand Canyon with me? And if not, uh, it, would it be okay if I went by myself? Because I, I really just want to drive over and take a look. And he so graciously agreed. I know he said yes, not because he doesn't like, I mean, I'm not saying he wouldn't have gone, but it's definitely like after a party, a week of partying in the, in Vegas. I'm sure it's not the first thing on his mind, but he is so lovely and I love him so much. He said yes, he wanted to come with me because it was my birthday. And we ended up camping overnight, Sunday night, uh, driving from Vegas, camping overnight in Vegas, uh, in the Grand Canyon, like in the National Park, you know, we reserved it and everything through the National Park's website which I had no idea how easy it is. You can literally go online, just the like nationalparks.gov website and just book. It's like $18 for a camp site where you can just bring your car, you know, set up a little tent. We had one of those like little Amazon tents and uh, my dog was there and, you know, I bought some sandwiches and juice from Safeway and we just like hung out there overnight, heard coyotes. Yes, very scary slash kind of cool. Looked at the moon, the gorgeous stars. And then the next morning, we um, went to hike the Grand Canyon, you know. I did a very, very easy version of it. I only went, like, down one-sixth of the way. It was, like, pretty much just a mile down. Took some photos, came back up. Um, I would love to go back another time when I'm more in shape and more prepared and when, you know, I just have more days to hang out there. But first time at the Grand Canyon, 10-10 would recommend if you've never been and you live anywhere within driving range find a time this year to go it's a fucking amazing thing i mean just look it's hard enough to get healthcare in this country and it's just wild to realize that a water cut that canyon open you know what i mean like that's some shit i know it sounds silly to be like wow the power of water but like i am a water sign so it is behooving for scorpio season to to witness the marvels of water okay so I fucking loved it. Grand Canyon, Earth's vagina, as I'm calling it now. Amazing. Love it, okay? If the Earth was a body, and it probably is, I do think the Grand Canyon is the vagina. You know, the ooh-ah point where we went to take a photo, that's the clit, okay? That's why it's called the ooh-ah point. Um, at me, don't at me, I don't know, whatever. Enjoyed it. Okay, so that's what I did for my birthday. Um... I will add that on the way there, I, <laughs> my car started like flipping out because it said like the oil engine pressure was low and we were both scared, but I realized like this is the difference. Sometimes I have to take inventory of like how lucky I am to be or, or able to have these healthy relationships now because, and again, whenever I talk about my healthy relationship, I don't want anyone, not that any of my exes listen to this, I highly doubt it, um, otherwise we would not be here, you know, if they cared enough <laughs> to be listening to my thoughts, uh, but my point is, whenever I talk about being in a healthy relationship, it's never to shit on past relationships, I truly believe, like, I probably wasn't ready, hadn't done the work to be in the place to be able to have and uphold my end of a healthy relationship and ask for what I wanted and needed and have the ability to, you know, walk away when I couldn't get that. But I also think it's possible that the people I was around, you know, even if they had toxic behavior, um, that the right type of person with boundaries would not engage with that. Again, this is not to victim blame myself. I'm just saying, like, I just don't want it to sound like I'm shitting on everybody I've ever dated when I say I'm in a healthy relationship now. But I will say this is the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. 
And there's moments where I have to take inventory and realize like this, this kind of trip used to give me a lot of anxiety because it just everything that could go wrong would go wrong no matter what. It's almost like when something if I ever revealed that to a partner that something meant a lot to me, it was like this ticking time bomb for them to hold it against me or destroy it or try to ruin it for me. So now I realize that I'm able to do things for myself and I don't need to wait for my partner or, you know, people around me to give that to me. And in fact, it makes it more fun when I share those experiences with them and they want to come along because I know that they have the choice, just like I have a choice to spend my time alone. But I choose to spend spend my birthday with people I love. Okay. So the quick story I wanted to say was the oil change. Um, when the light went off, I got very anxious. My boyfriend was also anxious. But we together worked on it. Like, I, it was cool to realize that, like, that kind of thing can be so scary when you don't know what to do. And if your car is going to break down, you're in the middle of nowhere. But we, like, we talked through it together. He looked up some stuff. We parked um, at a gas station. I, we went, I went in and bought oil. And, you know, it was like a band-aid solution. I still have to fix my car. But that got us through the weekend. And it was really cool to realize that, like, being there for each other, even when none of us had the answers, made us feel that much safer. And, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Gushing, being very, very corny. Okay, I will stop talking about how much I love my boyfriend and continue to my confession. Um, but I'm going to take a quick break first. And when we get back, I will be confessing something to you. And we're back. Okay, the time has come. It is time for me to tell you my confidence, my lovely confidence, something I have been holding near and dear to myself, uh, my chest. Okay, this is a pun for quite some time. And I feel finally ready to share more details. So as you've probably seen from the title, I was born with a broken heart. What does that mean? Okay, no, it does not mean I was born with a plethora of text messages that were unanswered. Okay, it does not mean that I was born, you know, without receiving the last rose from the other bachelor babies in the ICU. Um, It just simply put, I was born with CHD, congenital heart disease, a joke I have been trying to get off the floor that has not yet done well in any room, but I will try here because here I cannot hear you not laughing. CHD, congenital heart disease, if you don't know, is when you are born with your heart inside your vagina. Okay, it's a dumb joke. I just think it's funny. It sounds like congenital genital, get it? Um, But no, it's just a genetic heart disease that you're born with. That's all it means. You're born with it. A lot of them are fatal. The one I had, 0.01% of babies have it. That's one in 8,000 babies. Okay, I don't want to brag, but I am a rare baby. But um, just because it's hard to get doesn't mean it's a good thing. All right, I have learned that the hard way by trying to date hard to get people who just end up being, you know, the ghost of my mommy trauma. So... Um, this heart disease, however, was, uh, had a low chance of survival. A lot of babies are born with blue that have this. And, um, I don't know what happened, but somehow, because I have a twin sister, maybe, I don't know. Very unclear. Maybe I'm magic. I don't know. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm not magic. Everybody's magic. Truly magic of life. But I survived to like eight or nine months before anybody realized. And, Apparently, that's very rare because I have talked to other parents who've had children with the same condition I had and basically had to be operated on within, you know, hours of birth or like the first month. But somehow I was not blue. I was born. Maybe I was blue meant, you know, internally because I was sad. Uh, I'm just kidding. 
I was born, you know, like looking healthy like my sister. We were both small because we were both a little premature. Twins, after all, we had to share a space, all right? You guys ever shared a room with your twin sister? It's hard. But um, the main reason my family found this out was when I was about nine months old, my grandma was holding me one day. And this is a story I've been told, okay? And this, these, the stories early on I'm going to tell you were stories and narratives told to me all growing up that I didn't really question or think too much about. And I'll come back around to what I, the pieces I've put together since. But I'm just going to fill you in on the foundation. So growing up, I knew I was born with a heart disease and I had to get surgery. I don't remember it um, when I was young enough to or old enough to be talking about this and remembering it. All I can ever really connect was the fact that I had a scar down my chest and I have little scars where they put the tubes in to feed me. And, um, you know, my I, every year I had to go to the pediatric cardiologist to get a checkup until I was about 18. So they would do the EKG, they would check on my vitals and that sort of thing. I didn't feel weird about it. You know, my family, you know, was pretty normal in the way they treated me, even though every once in a while my mom would, you know, remind me not to exert myself too much, that my sister didn't have heart surgery, but I might have heart problems if I ran or anything like that. But um, overall, having the scar became pretty normal pretty quick because when you're a child, you know, other kids are just open and they ask you, like, why do you have that scar? What's up with that scar? And it became a thing that I just memorized. And I said I had heart surgery. I, I had heart surgery as a baby. I don't remember it. There's a scar. Boom. Didn't think too much about it. <clears throat> a couple of things I could remember growing up were, like, I remember my... Um, my, my doctor had said, you know, your boobs will probably come in uneven if you want to ever fix that. That's something adults sometimes do, but you don't, it's not threat. I mean, it's like you can breastfeed, you can do all these things. It's not something medical you would have to do. So I remember that, uh, my boobs pretty much never grew in if you really think about it. Cause I was flat for a long time, but when they did grow, they were very uneven. And it was a thing I was insecure about for a while, but again, I wasn't having much sex. Um, I was a late bloomer. So I didn't really get too concerned about that until much later when I was in a relationship where the guy put me down a lot. And, you know, that wasn't fun, but many things had happened by then that I wasn't thinking about my surgery. The other thing that I could remember that was maybe negative growing up was I was scared to wear bikinis. And my sister, I remember, would wear bikinis, like, you know, kid bikinis before, you know, it was thought of as sexy, you know, these are like children, you know, running around, no cleavage. But I remember thinking how cute she looked and how I was very embarrassed that I had a scar. So I would always try to get these tankinis or one pieces to cover up the scar. Eventually I grew out of that, but um, I do remember that being something I was insecure about growing up. Now, I went to college and, you know, lived my life. Okay, I'm going to skip a lot of stuff here. But that's the foundation of what I knew about my heart. Like, generally speaking, didn't run into big problems that I could pinpoint to my heart. Besides, you know, not really being that into exercise because my mom was always saying, like, I had to be careful. So my while my sister got into running and she was pretty good at it in elementary, middle, and high school, I just kind of stayed away from it and never truly pushed past that, like, initial you know, cardio workout at a gym type of running. Now, 
I'm going to skip a little bit, but um, just to fill in some missing points here, um, just know that I'm not going to get into all the weeds of this story because there's just no time and I want to be focused and talk about how I spent last year kind of reconnecting my adult trauma to my childhood trauma. But before I get to the sort of like nitty gritty turning point in 2020, I just want to say I did go through a um, very bad, well, let's just say it was a, a not a great situation, a toxic relationship that involved um, just uh, emotional abuse and psychological abuse. And I, I will say that my ex, um, I believe, was also dealing with his own mental illness. So I don't want to shame him. But I, looking back, uh, a lot of the patterns that played out in my um, feeling of insecurity and, and trying to find safety in someone who was hurting me, um, I've since been able to connect with my heart surgery. So I want to say that was um, kind of a precursor to me wanting to learn more about my childhood because that relationship coupled with my losing my little brother um, to depression spiraled into me having a lot of PTSD that would not go away. That was like kind of, kind of um, conflicting with my life. And, you know, like getting flashbacks at work, things like that. So I took the time to go do EMDR. And I've talked about that on this podcast. But right around that time, that was like 2019, the, I would get flashbacks. Uh, and I was connecting them to the EMDR. But as I got deeper into trauma therapy, I was able to see more clear pictures of some of the flashbacks to connect to actual events in my life. But I want to say at First, when I was doing MDR, it was really just to deal with the death of my brother. That and then you know it connected to um, it was like old wounds that were opened up by this relationship that was very triggering. Okay, so that being said, 2020 hits. We're in quarantine, and what do you know? I'm having breakdowns. You know, everyone's having breakdowns. Honestly, if you didn't have a breakdown, you probably are mentally ill. That or you're already dead. You could be dead and you're dreaming. Um, and you're, you know, to sleep to dream. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you figured it out. Point being, it wasn't weird to have a breakdown in quarantine. It, it was us reacting to an irrational, you know, situation. A terrible, very stressful situation. That's the whole reason your body is equipped to have breakdowns and anxiety is to deal with situations that are dangerous so you can get out that being said um I didn't have much control over the pandemic or you know the the fall of democracy uh (laughs) remember 2020 when things were so much worse they're still bad now but in the height of the pandemic like a few months in I was having the kinds of breakdowns that would last for hours I I'm, I journal, so I'm glad I can go back and remember the feeling, but it almost feels like you're taken over by your, like, primitive self, right? It's like your fight-or-flight response turns on, and it disconnects from your reasoning. Um, in more, I guess, scientific neuroscience terms, it's like your amygdala is overriding, I think, your hippocampus, and it's sending out, like, sort of the, the red alert. Um, and if that's confusing, just think about allergies, Like, if you're allergic to, you know, cilantro, it's because your body tastes the cilantro and thinks that it's poisonous and you're going to die. 
so it sends out all of these sort of like um you know battle warriors uh to fight off the cilantro and what happens because there is nothing to fight that's when you get you know your throat closes up or you get red or you canker sores in this case I was instead of cilantro I was like reacting to certain feelings and moods and triggers that reminded me of how I felt as a kid okay so one of the things that would happen when I was having these panic attacks one of the worst ones I remember was happening I believe around April 2020 when I was alone, um, I actually had to take a day off work. And, you know, our my work encouraged us to take these personal days. But um, And that's another story that I will not get into and probably never will. But uh, let's just say my, my office environment, we were working remotely, but my management team was not um, did not have most of the uh, writers in my space best interest at heart. Um, and, and, and only – and the situation – Let's not put the responsibility on a person, but let's say the way they manage our remote work environment only exacerbated anybody who was dealing with trauma or mental illness. So I did fall into that category. I was not the only one that had an experience like this, but I'm only going to talk about myself. For me, I wanted to be a, you know, do a great job and um, be a good employee. So I decided to actually take the time to take a day off. So I took a half day off because we were already halfway through the day. And on one of the days, I had one of the worst breakdowns. I drove all the way to Santa Monica just to, like, look at the ocean. I was trying every tactic in the book. My, you know, therapists and psychologists and, you know, people I've spoken to about PTSD and trauma were telling me to do. But nothing was working. It got to the point where even though I knew it was wrong, like, my brain was telling me, you don't like this is it this is the end like you're not supposed to be alive anymore like not it wasn't saying like self-harm stuff like harm yourself it was just saying like you just need to like shut off like whatever that means like just like give in and that's a very scary thought to have especially when you know there is no off button for life and I knew it was not my rational mind thinking but it was very scary and the more that I had these spiraling thoughts the more I would like gag and choke that was like a very um prominent trope I would say a trope uh, that was a thing that was happening when I was having these hour-long panic attacks like I would just start gagging I almost started doing it just now to show you but like how gross if I was making that sound over a podcast I swear I'm not gonna do that okay not this is not disgusting ASMR it is spooky season but you guys know what gagging and choking sounds like all right and if you don't I, and if you don't know what it sounds like I'm sure you can google it uh but just make sure you have your safe for work filter on because the internet is a porn filled place or you know what maybe you should watch a porn maybe that'll make you feel better and less scared I don't know we're getting off topic um point being I would start gagging and choking and that was something that would happen when I was doing EMDR when I was having the flashbacks and I started connecting that to other times of my life like growing up when I was dancing in like high school um, and choreographing my own dances, none of them were great, but they were coming from a place of like this deep visceral emotion. And that was emotion I did a lot was like grabbing my throat, kind of like, I can't breathe, I'm choking, I'm gagging. There was this very, very deep rooted like childhood need connected deep down that I couldn't, I didn't connect yet, but it was like there, right? Like it was a, it was a, I don't know the proper words. It was like a, a, a thing that, an unmet need that a so subconscious I had not realized 
that it was unmet. But as I looked back, it was something that I had often connected to whenever I had panic attacks. I would start gasping for air. I would feel like something was in my throat. I even remember in the saddest times in high school when I would get really, you know, just hormonal and teenage angsty, I would um, shut myself in the closet and just cry and like stuff my face with food until it felt like my throat was full of things, which you would think is bad, but somehow that was comforting. Okay, I tell you all this because when I realized that I had gone so far that I needed more help because I could not snap myself out of it, no matter how hard I tried, I decided to start another round of EMDR. And when I did this, the gagging and choking came back so strong that my therapist said, you should ask your mom if anything happened when you were a kid that, you know, maybe you choked or almost died or something that you could connect to this feeling because there's a memory in your body, like it's body trauma that you have not dealt with, but you haven't connected the emotion yet. But clearly when you're triggered, right, like when I feel abandoned or when I feel unsafe, my throat goes back into that gagging mode. Um, I could make a joke here about how uh, I don't have a gag reflex when I need to not have one, but I won't, okay? But you guys, you know, if you're thinking immature thoughts, it's fine. I made those jokes in my head too. Let's just say that in this case scenario, I'm not trying to talk about dicks in my mouth. Um, But I'm sure there is some deep-rooted connection, okay? Like, I don't really feel like going down that road, but hey, maybe, okay? Maybe... Maybe dicks in my mouth is connected to my heart surgery. I don't know. But for now, let's continue. So I did. I decided to talk to my mom and ask. Um, Around this time, I already started subconsciously realizing like some of this flashbacks has more to do with my very, very early childhood, like my surgery, more than it has to do with like later relationships like my exes. And I had gotten to this point and it was very interesting because I didn't have the answers, right? Like my memory was so suppressed as a baby that I don't remember having surgery. Of course I don't. Like how painful would that be? But as I'm learning, you know, your body remembers. So if I have this scar and I have these questions, like it stands to reason that I'm asking these questions now because as an adult, maybe my body feels safe enough to fully process the trauma of my surgery from like, 30, won't say how long, years ago. So I asked my mom and we talked for a while. At first she couldn't remember, um, but we talked for a while. It was very interesting to hear her point of view about what it was like to find out I had heart disease and, you know, it was very scary for a first-time mom. Um, Her first thing she thought of, she said, I maybe... There is, it was a time when your dad, uh, after you were out of the ICU, so, or when you were in the ICU after the surgery, they like, you know, wouldn't let the adults in, uh, or the parents in, but they had all the babies behind a clear wall where, you know, you could check on your baby, but you couldn't go in. She said, um, overnight, my dad would, you know, like they would take turns sleeping there. I think they were, he was getting his PhD, so whenever he could, he was at the hospital, and he was, um, he woke up in the middle of the night in the area he was in and decided to walk down and check on me and he went through and he saw that it looked like I was having trouble breathing and that my monitors were a little bit off so he called the nurse in and she came and looked at it 
And apparently they said, um, you know, oh, thank God you said something because something was not like calibrated correctly and they fixed it and I was okay. So she brought that up. She's like, maybe that's what you remember. But even as she said it, I was like, I mean, maybe, like, you never know, but it didn't, nothing clicked. I was like, I don't really know. I barely remember anything. Um, So I was about to sort of give up and be like, you know, maybe it's this general feeling of being under surgery, under the knife, not being able to breathe. But then she goes, isn't like gagging like you're trying to swallow something and you can't? And that's when I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Keep in mind there, like maybe it's a language barrier because my mom's first language is Chinese. So even though I thought it was very clear like what gagging and choking means, she was thinking more like I couldn't breathe. And then she goes, okay, well, because for the first nine months of your life, you would gag and choke every time you tried to drink milk. Like every time I breastfed you and I would take turns, you know, breastfed and bottle because you guys were twins, you would just be like gurgling, like, sorry, I said I wouldn't make the noise. (laughs) So tempting. You'd be like gurgling, like you literally like were having such trouble swallowing, you'd be like choking on the milk. And we thought you were just a slow baby, like a fussy baby. But after like eight or nine months, you didn't grow and your sister was growing. It seemed a little weird. And that's when, you know, my grandma found out that my heart was beating way too fast and they decided to take me in to get a checkup. As soon as my mom said that, it was like all the pieces clicked. Like, I don't know how else to describe this feeling besides like, you know, when you're playing Tetris and it's like, do, 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 and they all go, or you're playing solitaire and all the cards go flying when you finish, um, you know, but instead of the cards going away and you realizing you just wasted three hours playing computer solitaire by yourself, I realized that all of my panic attacks were connected to my childhood heart disease. It was a wild feeling because when she said that, I was like, that is the feeling. As soon as she said that, I knew, like I just knew in my body, that is the feeling I have when I'm gagging and choking. And it made more sense when she said it was for nine months, okay, for nine entire months until the doctor corrected the defect in my heart. Every time I tried to drink milk, eat, get safe, get food, get nurtured, I felt like I was drowning. And that's a really scary feeling for a baby, I imagine. Um, You know, I don't physically remember that, but the feeling I get now as an adult when that happens it makes a lot of sense. And then my mom said, so then I was like, okay, that's interesting. Like after the surgery, did it get better? Because the other thing I could say for a fact as an adult is I fucking love beverages. You would think that gagging on milk would make me hate milk. But you know what I really love is drinking liquids. Okay. Yes. We're going to make another no gag reflex joke here, but this part is true. When I was in college, I fucking loved to chug beer. Okay. I lo- just love beer, but I loved to do that thing where, you know, someone taught me in high school, like, you can open your throat and chug a beer. And I was like, yes, I can. And I can do it well. I love beverages. I'm the kind of person who goes to brunch and gets, you know, if I'm drinking alcohol, I'll get an alcoholic drink like a mimosa, but then I'm getting an iced coffee. And then I've got my iced water. And then I've got my OJ. And then people are like, you're going to need to poop and pee at the same time. What's your problem? But I just love beverages. I love beverages. You know me if you do I love boba I love everything I just love having a refreshing glug 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 drink okay and my mom said after my surgery I would glug 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 the milk like a champ and she was like it was like day and night you were like so enthusiastic about drinking after your surgery 
which is kind of funny that I thought I had a drinking problem because, you know, <laughs> I do fucking love drinking, but I think I was addicted to literal drinking and not alcohol, um, but that's a story for another time, but I love drinking. I love the feeling when my throat is clear and I'm just like glugging down some ice cold, you know, Coke, although that's bad for you now, but when I was a kid, ice cold tea, I love lemonade, I just, I know this isn't that weird, a lot of people like drinking, but when she said that, it just made sense, okay, so, that was a really pivotal moment for me to connect it, and of course, some people are like, so what, so now you know that all your adult panic attacks are connected to being a kid with heart disease, but like, did it solve anything, knowing, well, here's the thing, this is the work, right, Knowing was half of it. Knowing gave me the comfort to trust myself, to trust my body and trust that nothing was wrong with me because it's very scary to have a panic attack in the middle of the day surrounded by people you love in your own home because you think if I feel I'm in danger, either I am in danger, either like someone here is not who they say they are or I'm crazy, right? Like, or I'm picking up on something that's not there. And that is very scary because you want to trust yourself, but at the same time, you don't want to feel bad. And if everyone around you is telling you, calm down, calm down, and you're trying and you can't, you can't help but wonder, like, am I broken? Are my alarm systems broken? And then that spirals into just like being very scared and anxious that, you know, at any moment, if you don't know why you're having this reaction, any moment could turn into panic attack. But when my mom told me that I was gagging as a kid trying to drink milk, I was immediately able to realize, wait a minute. So when I couldn't breathe as a kid, I actually had something wrong with me. My heart literally was not pumping oxygen into my body. So that alarm system that goes off, that was working very well. In fact, that's the reason I'm alive today because I had that reaction and I wasn't able to breathe and my heart started racing, my grandma noticed my reaction and was able to take me into the doctor and that's how I got the help I needed. If my body had not reacted, if I hadn't started gagging and if I hadn't started like accelerating my heart and crying and all that, I may not ever have gone to the hospital and I may have just like puttered out and died from lack of oxygen. So this is the part that really helped me connect and understand and forgive myself for having these reactions through the years because my alarm system that I was born with that's supposed to tell me when something's wrong or when I'm in danger just went off earlier than most people, but it wasn't broken and it wasn't wrong. Most babies, you know, that are born healthy don't need to suffer or feel that danger until they're a little older because they're protected by their parents, they're sheltered, they're nurtured. At some point, they go off to school and, you know, they scrape a knee or something and they feel that sting of danger. But for me, I was born with this, like, urgent need for oxygen. And so this whole time, my body was asking for help. It was sounding the alarm which means the alarm was not broken. The alarm was working very well. But as a baby, um, you know, it's a traumatic moment. Surgery is traumatic. So to protect myself, my brain repressed those memories and put them away for another day. 
right? Like said, hey, let's not deal with this trauma right now. It's too much for this little baby. One day she'll feel safe enough and we'll let it out. I believe that's what happened in 2020. I believe as I started actually healing my trauma, doing way more intense trauma therapy, dealing with my broken relationships, healing my relationship with my mom, looking within all of this stuff, my body was like, you know what? She might be ready to deal with this heart surgery and we should see if she can process this trauma once and for all. Now, my body didn't ask me, right? I didn't know. So it, it was scary. But now that I connected, it was like, oh, my body was just like, let's let the last of this alarm out. And if you are smart enough to know why it's happening, then you can turn off the alarm without turning off your life. Do you understand? Like, I was so scared that my body was telling me I was dying. And that made me want to die, right? Because I didn't want to live in fear and panic that I didn't consider that maybe my body thought I was dying because I had been dying as a kid. But now as an adult, I hadn't figured out how to turn off the alarm and just live. So hopefully you guys are keeping up. I, I mean, I know this is like really heavy and deep. Um, and if you haven't been through anything like this, it can be hard to visualize. But it's like if you, you know, have a shitty car alarm system and it goes off, and it's shitty because the first time it got broken into, the person who broke into it messed with the system. But it worked well enough, right? Let's say someone tried to break into your car, your alarm went off, and they started whacking the car alarm. But because the alarm went off, you caught them, you shushed them away, and you were able to recover your car. But now, every time someone's near your car, your alarm goes off. It's very sensitive because that other person banged on the alarm. Now, does this mean every time you hear it, it means someone's there? No. But does it mean every time you hear it, there's no chance someone's there? Also no. It just means you need to maybe fix the alarm or maybe start to build some other signals, right? Like if you know your alarm's always going to go off, maybe you get more information before you turn it off, assuming that it's fake. So that's what I did. I spent a lot of time once I connected these two things um, over the last year, learning more about my surgery, reconnecting with the pediatric cardiologist who performed the surgery. I started connecting with other women who survived CHD, and I'm now part of a Zipper Sisters group on Facebook, which is the cutest name it's for other survivors of CHD and there's a lot more mental support there than I had realized. Like things like my vitiligo, ADHD, these psoriasis is very common with other women who've gone through this. And it's not like direct causation, but it, it just made me feel a little more validated and less crazy to realize that just because this is rare doesn't mean that I'm the only one going through it. And when I was able to connect with some of these other women, I realized how common some of the experiences I had were from other women who've gone through this. And it was really, really validating and really comforting. And it made me feel safe. And I'll say that it wasn't like an end-all, be-all solution. This kind of thing takes a long time to heal. Um, to give you an example, I just, like a few weeks ago, had a pretty bad breakdown where I started, like, wasn't able to connect my reason brain to my um, my fight or flight amygdala brain 
and started feeling like, no, I was going to be left alone. Everybody around me was going to abandon me and that my body would fail me and I wouldn't be able to breathe. But having now done the work, I was also able to get through that by doing breathing exercises, by finding ways to document and continue and make sure I just made it to the next second and the next second. And eventually that alarm ran its course. I was able to calm down. And I would not say that I was being crazy for having that feeling. I probably had picked up on a um, feeling of that where I didn't feel safe, but the not safe feeling was external and not internal. My heart is still pumping. Oh man, this is a lot longer than I thought. So I'll try to wrap it up, but I want to end with like some good notes. So after I discovered how just how directly connected my surgery was to some of these reactions I was having as an adult, I went back and read through a lot of my old work, like creative work, and it was like, a light just flipped on. There was just so many signs, one after the other, just like really on the nose even. Like I drew pictures of girls with no hearts, like literally very on the nose. Like you would think I would have realized, you know what I mean? But uh, one of my old dance solos, it was literally just me choking. I mean, look, I'm not saying I was artistically, you know, uh, gifted when it came to choreographing these dances, but clearly I was trying to get something out. I even found a monologue I had written about a girl who's allergic to milk and loves milk and doesn't care if it kills her. And like that that was from like 2014 or something. So it became more and more validating and comforting to realize that this whole time I have been sending myself messages. I just wasn't reading them correctly. And when I realized that, I realized that I could start to read the messages and start to heal. It doesn't mean I'm living a perfect life. Bad things can still happen to someone who's healed their trauma, okay? Don't forget that. But the difference is I can handle things as they happen in the moment instead of always being afraid to, quote-unquote, you know, make the same mistake or I, I'm, I'm not living in a fragmented past anymore where I feel like, oh, you know, I still can't breathe or whatever or things are going to get worse before they get better because I'm now in the moment. You know, the, the surgery is over. It doesn't mean I'll never have another surgery, but for now, this surgery is over and I need to focus on healing the pro- uh, and processing the pain from that, that past one so I can catch up to the moment and then feel confident about going into any new situation equipped to handle it. Now, I want to say some very tangible actions I took outside of just journaling and, you know, meditating is when I when I found this out, I really, really wanted to reach out to my doctor who fixed my heart. And I kind of mentioned this before, but I wrote him a thank you note around Thanksgiving last year, thanking him for saving my life. And I was like, I'm sure you don't remember all this, but like just to realize like this man who's still practicing, okay, at Stanford Hospital, literally took his hands into my little heart and like rewired it so that I could breathe. And today I'm breathing because of him. I just felt it was so cool. And I was like, I don't know how many babies really think about this man saving their life. Maybe it's a lot. Who knows? So I emailed him. He responded. And it was really nice. And he actually told me, uh, recommended a doctor out here in L.A. that deals with adult congenital heart survivors. And saying that, like, you know, at the time there weren't as many survivors as there are now because technology is and healthcare is improving. And that 
as I got older, like there may be complications. We don't know, but there's a specialist adult congenital heart disease doctor who helps monitor these things and she's very well versed in my situation. So thank you to that doctor. I um, thank you to Dr. Grady. I was able to connect with a doctor out here in Los Angeles, get set up, do like a MRI, everything, you know, get my vitals, check in and be connected so that as I get older, I'm able to actually have someone who understands this condition I have um, help me if anything else should come up. I'm so grateful for that because, I mean, as much as I respect a lot of the doctors I've had, many of them just didn't have experience with this very rare condition. And things like my psoriasis and vitiligo would come up and they would refer me to a dermatologist, which, you know, is the normal surface thing to do. But there's so much more that was happening underneath the surface that like my body was trying to reconnect and make myself safe. And that's why I was having these reactions. I mean, psoriasis and vitiligo are both autoimmune conditions that manifest in different ways. But in many ways, it's similar to allergies uh, where it just, or the panic attack where it reads something as unsafe or dangerous. So it attacks and it doesn't stop because it doesn't feel safe. So I'm now able to like make take actions to make myself feel safer by getting more information about my condition talking to other survivors it doesn't mean I'm immune from ever having a breakdown or my heart stopping you know like I'm still at risk but I'm able to live every day without so much anxiety and I fucking love beverages okay this has given me (laughs) so much validation to keep drinking beverages. I'm not just talking alcoholic. I'm saying like I am now happily buying sweet teas, lemonades, seltzers. I chug, chug, chug these beverages because I'm like, I'm doing it for you, baby Teresa. Okay. For those nine months, I couldn't drink a single thing. And I'm like, I'm doing this for you. I love the beverages that I could never have drank before. Um, and I'm still doing the work. Okay. There's so much more to discover. And I know that there's going to be hard times ahead, but I feel like ever since 2020 when I discovered the connection between my panic attacks and my heart surgery, I've been having way more meaningful, like, mood swings. I don't know how else to describe it, but, like, it used to be, like, panic attacks I couldn't help, ups and downs, it just felt like a haze. And now if I go through something, something scary in real life, like, you know, maybe my car breaking down or being lost in the middle of nowhere... I don't shut down and act like a child as much. I mean, yes, it could still happen. I'm not fully perfect, you know what I mean? But overall, I'm able to take things as they come. Like, I got fired last year. It was a really traumatic moment, like, dealing with a really um, difficult situation at work and having to undergo some pretty awful things, you know, that I feel like any normal person is justified to feel stressed out. But for me... I was able to approach it with a very present and calm mind, knowing that like the only thing I could control was my reaction and how I presented myself and dealt with it. And no matter how low someone stoops, I want to stay my course and be kind and treat them like a person. And that's all I can ever do. And that's all I ever asked for, you know, as a baby. The reality is I'm not supposed to be alive. You know, I don't know if God or the universe or what, you know, is your belief but 
The facts are I was born with a heart that didn't pump oxygen. I had an identical twin who had a working heart. I mean, like, I really was like a backup copy. You know, I really didn't need to be there. And the doctor fixed me and said, you can live. And every once in a while, you're going to feel a little scared because as a baby, you were born with a broken heart. And that's the truth. And I don't think I need to be in a place where I'm never scared. Or I can't go back and pretend I didn't have this heart thing. But what I can do is accept it and make myself feel safe. And feel actually really comforted knowing that I am alive. Despite supposed to die. Wow, that's not right grammar. Despite the fact that I was supposed to die. And that's the work I've been doing is letting myself be grateful for life. Even when I feel challenges that make me want to be in a different position or place. I have to understand, like, this is everything. Being here means going from ups to downs to middles. And without life, you don't get those ups and downs. But you don't get to complain either. So I guess in closing, all I can say is my heart is a rescue, okay? Needs a little extra love. It is a little... When I first got the heart, it it (laughs) needed to be fixed up, okay? You know, it was not house trained and um, now I love it, even though sometimes it needs extra work. Sometimes like my, you know, like rescue dogs will just bark at other dogs for no reason. Sometimes my heart will sound an alarm and I'll have to just be kind to it. And that's okay because like the rescues people get, they bring a lot of love into your life. And I'm very grateful to have this heart, even if it looks like very different from other people's hearts, okay? It has different veins, okay? It's been, it's Frankenstein together by man, uh, Dr. Grady, who honestly, the weirdest part about all this was me realizing this probably links to why for so long I had a thing for older white guys. Because <laughs> my doctor was just like a benevolent older white dude. It explains a lot, okay? Look, I used to fantasize about old people. Um, not old, sorry, is that? I wish I could say this in a way that didn't feel so kink-shaming because it's like just so, some of this stuff is so subconscious. Like I never fantasize about my doctor, but when I thought about all this in therapy, I realized like there's probably some connection to why I would feel safe around older men. And now, you know, I don't. <laughs> I feel safe around myself. Okay, I'm not saying I don't feel safe around old men. I'm just saying the person I feel the safest around now is myself. And it took a lot of time to get there. Thank you for listening to this confession. This has been You Can Tell Me Anything solo episode. I've been Teresa Lee. I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you for listening to You Can Tell Me Anything. You Can Tell Me Anything is a comedic podcast created and produced by Teresa Lee on the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network. The Hoo Ha Ha team is Ashley McAtee, Audrey Povar, Maggie Week Austin, Cardi Assad, and Stephanie Binot. The theme song for this podcast was created by Cody Johnston. The outro music was written by Shipwreck Sailor. And the Hoo Ha Ha app can be found in the Apple Store to stream your favorite comedy series and laugh out loud podcasts by the funniest woman in comedy. To contact this podcast specifically, you can email tellmeanythingpod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at tellmeanythingpod. Thank you.